Chapter Twenty of the People of the Mist by H. Ryder Haggard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Coming of Akka. Leonard turned and looked at his companions with something like dismay written on his face. What is to be done now? he said. We must wait for them until they come near, answered Juanna. Then Otter and I are to meet them alone, and I will sing the song which Soa has taught me. Do not be afraid. I have learned my lesson, and if things go right, they will think that we are their lost gods, or at least so Soa says. Yes, if things go right, but if they don't? Then good-bye, answered Juanna, with a shrug of her shoulders. At any rate, I must get ready for the experiment. Come, Soa, bring the bundle to those rocks over there, quick. Stop a minute. I forgot. Mr. Ottram, you must lend me that ruby. I have to make use of it. Leonard handed over the ruby, reflecting that he would probably never see it again, since it seemed almost certain that one of the great people would steal it. However, at the moment, he was thinking of that which was far above rubies, namely, of what chance they had of escaping with their lives. So soon as she had possession of the stone, Juanna ran to the little ring of boulders that were scattered on the plain about fifty paces from them, followed by Soa, who carried a bundle in her hand. Ten minutes passed, and Soa appeared from behind the shelter of the stones and beckoned to them. Advancing in obedience to her summons, they saw a curious sight. Standing in the ring of rocks was Juanna, but Juanna transformed. She wore a white robe cut low upon the neck and shoulders. Indeed, it was the Arab dress in which she had escaped from the slave camp that Soa had brought with them in preparation for this moment of trial. Nor was this all, for Juanna had loosened her dark hair which was of great length and unusual beauty, so that it hung about her almost to her knees, and upon her forehead, gleaming like a red eye, was set the great ruby, ingeniously fastened thereto by Soa, in a band of linen pierced in its center to the size of the stone. "'Behold the goddess, and do homage,' said Juanna, with mock solemnity, although Leonard could see that she was trembling with excitement. "'I do not quite understand what you are going to do, but you looked the part well,' he answered shortly. And indeed, until that moment, he had never known how beautiful she was. Juana blushed a little at the evident admiration in his eyes. Then, turning to the dwarf, she said, "'Now, Otter, you must make ready, too, and remember what Soa told you. Whatever you see or hear, you are not to open your mouth. Walk side by side with me, and do as I do. That is all. Otter grunted in assent, and proceeded to make ready. The process was simple, consisting only in the shedding of his coat and trousers, an old pair of Leonard's very much cut down, which left him naked except for a mocha that he wore beneath them in accordance with native custom. "'What does all this mean?' asked the headman Peter, who, like his companions, was trembling with fear. "'It means,' said Juanna, "'that Otter and I are impersonating the gods of this people. Peter, if they receive us as gods, it is well. If not, 
we are doomed. Be careful, should we be so received, lest any of you betray the trick. Be wise and silent, I say, and do what we shall tell you from time to time, if you would live to look upon the sun. Peter fell back astonished, while Leonard and Francisco turned their attention to the approaching soldiers of the people of the mist. They advanced slowly and in silence, but their measured tread shook the earth. At last they halted about a hundred and fifty yards away, presenting a truly terrifying spectacle to the little band among the rocks. So far as Leonard could see, there was not a man among them who stood less than six feet in height, and they were broad in proportion, hugely made. In appearance, they were neither handsome nor repulsive, but solemn-looking, large-eyed, thick-haired, between black and yellow in hue, and wearing an expression of dreadful calm, like the calm of an archaic statue. For the rest, they seemed to be well-disciplined, each company being under the command of a captain, who, in addition to his arms, carried a trumpet fashioned from a wild bull's horn. The regiment stood silent, gazing at the group of strangers, or rather, at the boulders behind which they were concealed. In the center of their hollow square was a knot of men, one of them young and huge, even in comparison with his companions. This man Leonard took to be a chief or king. Behind were orderlies and counselors, and before him three aged persons of stately appearance and a cruel cast of countenance. These men were naked to the waist and unarmed, except for a knife or hanger fixed at the girdle. On their broad breasts, covering more than half the skin surface, the head of a huge snake was tattooed in vivid blue. Evidently, they were medicine men or priests. While the adventurers watched and wondered, the king or chief issued an order to his attendants, who ran to the corners of the square and called it aloud. Then he raised his great spear, and every captain blew upon his horn, making a deafening sound. Now the enemy stood still for a while, staring towards the stones, and the three medicine men drew near to the chief, in the center of the square, and talked with him, as though debating what should be done. This is our chance, said Juana excitedly. If once they attack us, it will be all over. A single volley of arrows would kill every one of us. Come, Otter. No, no, said Leonard. I'm afraid of you venturing yourself among those savages. The danger is too great. Danger? Can the danger be more than it is here? In a minute, we may all be dead. Nonsense, I will go. I know what to do, and have made up my mind to do it. Do not fear for me. Remember that, if the worst comes to the worst, I have means to protect myself. You are not afraid to come, are you, Otter? No, Shepherdess, said the dwarf. Here all roads are alike. Leonard thought a while. Bitterly did he reproach himself, in that he had been the cause of leading his ward into such a position. But now there was no help for it. She must go. After all, it could make no difference if she were killed or captured five minutes hence or half an hour later. But Francisco, who could not take such a philosophical view of the situation, implored her 
not to venture herself alone among those horrible savages. "'Go if you like, Juana,' said Leonard, not heeding the priest's importunities. "'If anything happens, I will try to avenge you before I follow. Go, but forgive me.' "'What have I to forgive?' she said, looking at him with shining eyes. "'Did you not once dare a greater danger for me?' "'Yes, go, shepherdess,' said Soa, who till now had been staring with all her eyes at the three aged men in the center of the square. There is little to fear, if this fool of a dwarf will but keep his tongue silent. I know my people, and I tell you that if you sing that song and say the words which I have taught you, you and the black one here shall be proclaimed gods of the land. But be swift, for the soldiers are about to shoot. As Soa spoke, Leonard saw the conference in the square had come to an end. The messengers were calling commands to the captains, which the captains repeated to the soldiers, and then followed a mighty rattling of quivers. Another instant, and the light shone upon many hundreds of arrowheads, every one of which was pointed toward them. Juana saw also, and springing forward onto a rock, stood there for a moment, in the full glare of the sun. Instantly a murmur went up from the host. A great voice called a command. The barbs of steel flickered like innumerable stars and sank downwards. Now Otter, naked except for his mucha, sprang onto the rock by Juana's side, and the murmur of the soldiers of the great people grew into a hoarse roar of astonishment and dismay. Wonder had turned to fear, though why this multitude of warriors should fear a lovely white girl and a black dwarf was not apparent. For a moment the ill-assorted pair stood together on the rock. Then Juana leapt to the plain, Otter following her. For twenty yards or so she walked in silence, holding the dwarf by the hand, then suddenly bursting into singing, wild and sweet. This was a refrain of the sacred song which she sang in the ancient language of the people of the mist, the tongue that Soa had taught her as a child. I do but sleep. Have you wept for me a while? Hush! I did but sleep. I shall awake my people. I am not dead, nor can I ever die. See, I have but slept. See, I come again, made beautiful. Have you not seen me in the faces of the children? Have you not heard me in the voices of the children? Look on me now, the sleeper arisen. Look on me, who wandered, whose name is the dawning. Why have you mourned me, the sleeper awakened? Then she sang, even more sweetly and louder, till her voice rang through the still air like the song of a bird in winter. Hushed were the companies of the great men, as she drew towards them with slow, gliding steps, hushed with fear and wonder, as though her presence awoke a memory or fulfilled a promise. She was in front of their foremost rank, and halting there, was silent for a moment. Then she changed her song. Will ye not greet me, children of my children? Have ye forgotten the promise of the dead? Shall I return to the dreamland whence I wander? Will ye refuse me, the mother of the snake? The soldiers looked upon one another, 
and murmured to each other. Now she saw that they understood her words, and were terror-stricken by them. For another moment there was silence, then suddenly the three priests, or medicine men, who had drawn near together, passed through the ranks and stood before her, accompanied by the warrior chief. Then one of them, the most aged, a man who must have numbered ninety years, spoke in the midst of an intense silence. To Juana's joy, as they had understood her, so she understood him, for his language was the same that Soa had taught her many years before, and in which, for the sake of practice, they had always conversed together for the last two months. "'Art thou woman or spirit?' asked the ancient priest. "'I am both woman and spirit,' she answered. "'And he with thee, he whom we know of,' went on the priest, pointing trembling to Otter. "'Is he God or man?' "'He is both God and man,' she answered. "'And those yonder, who are they?' "'They are our ministers and servants, white for the white and black for the black, the companions of our wanderings, men and not spirits.' The three priests consulted together, while the chief looked on Juana's beauty with wandering eyes. Then the oldest of them spoke again. Thou tellest in our own tongue of things that have long been hidden, though perchance they are remembered. Either, O oh beautiful, thou hast learned these things and lies to us, and then food ye are for the snake, against whom thou dost blaspheme. Or ye are gods indeed, and as gods ye shall be worshipped. Tell us now thy name, and the name of yonder dwarf, of whom we know. I am named the Shepherdess of Heaven among men. His name is Otter, Dweller in the Waters, among men. Once we had other names. Tell us the other names, O Shepherdess. Once in the far past I was named Brightness. I was named Dawn. I was named Daylight. Once in the far past, he was named Silence, he was named Terror, he was named Darkness, yet at the beginning we had other names. Perchance you know them, ministers of the snake. Perchance we know them. O thou who art named Shepherdess of Heaven, O thou who wert named Brightness, and Dawn, and Daylight, O thou who art named Dweller in the Waters and wert named silence and terror and darkness. Perchance we know them, although they be known to few, and never spoken, save in utter gloom and with hidden head. But do ye know them, those names of the beginning? For if ye know them not, O beautiful, ye lie, and you blaspheme, and you are food for the snake. Seldom through all the years have those holy names been spoken, save in utter darkness and with covered heads juanna answered boldly but now is the new hour the hour of the coming and now they should be called aloud in the light of day from open lips and with uplifted eyes hearken children of the snake these are the names by which we were known in the beginning Akka is my name the mother of the snake yal is he named who is the snake say do ye know us now? As these words rang on her lips, a groan of terror burst from every man who heard them. Then the aged priest cried aloud, 
Down on your faces, ye children of the snake, worship, all ye people of the spear, dwellers in the mist. Aka, the queen immortal, has come home again. Yal, the god, has put on the flesh of men. Olfen, lay down thy kingship. It is his, ye priests, throw wide the temples, they are theirs. Worship the mother, do honor to the god. The multitude heard and prostrated themselves like a single man, every one of them crying in a shout of thunder. Aka, the queen of life, has come. Yaol, the doom god, has put on flesh. Worship the mother, do honor to the god. It was as though the army had suddenly been smitten with death, and of the hundreds there, Juana and Otter alone were left standing. There was one exception, however, and that was Olfen, the warrior chief, who remained upon his feet, not seeming to relish the command to abdicate his authority thus brusquely in favor of a dwarf, were he god or man. Otter, who was utterly bewildered, not comprehending a word of what had been said, and being unable to phantom the meaning of these strange antics, pointed at the chief with his spear, by way of calling Wada's attention to the fact that he was still standing. But the great man interpreted the action otherwise. Evidently, he thought that the newly arrived god was invoking destruction on him. His pride yielded to his superstition, and he sank to his knees also. When the sound of the worshipping had passed away, Juana spoke again, addressing the old priest. "'Rise, my children,' she said. He might as well have been her great-grandfather. And rise, all ye, soldiers of the spear, and servants of the snake, and hear my words. You know me now. You know me by the holy name. You know me by the fashion of my face, and by the red stone that gleams upon my brow. In the beginning my blood fell yonder, and was frozen into such gems as these, which today ye offer yearly to him who's my child, and slew me. Now the fate is accomplished, and his reign is finished. I come with him indeed, and he is still a god, but he loves me as a son again, and bows the knee to me in service. Enough, ye who know the ancient tale that is fulfilled this day. Now we pass on towards our city, there to sojourn with you a while, and to proclaim the law of the ending, and we shall pass alone. There in our city let a place be made ready for us, a place apart but nigh to the temple, and let food be brought to that place, that my servants may eat. At the gate of the city also let men be waiting to bear us to that dwelling. Let none spy upon us, lest an evil fate attend you all and let none be disobedient, lest we pass from you back to the land of death and dreams. Perchance we shall not tarry here for long. Perchance we come to bring a blessing and to depart again. Therefore hasten to do our bidding, and do it all. For this time farewell, my servants. Having spoken thus with much dignity, accompanied by Otter, whose hand she held as before, Juana withdrew herself, stepping backwards very slowly toward the circle of the rocks 
and singing as she went. End of chapter 20